morning, church. Uh, good morning, church. Welcome, neighbors. I am glad to be together with you this morning. Um, some mornings are better than others, and <laughs> there's uh, different reasons for that, but I'm, I'm thankful to be with you this morning. We are uh, in a series that uh, you can probably tell is called Faith Under Fire, and we've been asking the question, when we look around at the world around us, when we see or we maybe just feel like every time we turn, there is some kind of opposition to our faith, there's some kind of somebody that's saying something critical about the church or about something that we hold dear, something that we are um, committed to, when it seems like everywhere we turn, the world's on fire and it's, on, it's all burning and raging against something that's important to us, what is it that we do? How is it that we stand firm? And we've been tempted to blame it on circumstances, blame it on uh, the, the, the kind of a year that we've had, uh, to blame it on, on media and all of those kinds of things. But this actually isn't a new predicament that we find ourselves in. Jesus himself said in, in John 15 that in the world you're going to have trouble, uh, but I give you my peace. He says, if the world hated me, and you choose to follow me, then the world's going to hate you too. Um, there's times where we like really want to grab onto the promises of God and say, like, yes, like these are the promises of God. These are going to sustain me. Um, but let's also keep balance and remember that one of the things that God promises us is that the world's going to hate us. So how do we navigate uh, the world if it's going to be hostile towards us? It's going to be hostile to our faith. And this morning, we're grateful that God keeps a record of the way that he has worked in history. And we're zooming back in time hundreds of years before Jesus walked the planet. And uh, we're looking at the story of a guy named Daniel. If you haven't been with us yet, uh, or you're just catching up, Daniel's a guy who was taken into captivity by a foreign nation. And this nation was so hostile to his faith that they took him and his friends and moved them all the way hundreds of miles across the desert to a new city. They put them in a new boarding school, and they sought to re-educate their religion out of them to such the degree that their names, the, the names that their moms and dads gave them, uh, they changed them. So instead of names that honored Yahweh, the God of Israel, they gave them names that honored uh, the gods of their um, nation. So uh, Bel or um, Dagon, there are other, other gods that they worship. So they gave them different names. And so that's, that's pretty hostile. Um, but we have a record of how they walked through that and how God led them through those times. And it has been, I think, uh, an encouraging uh, encouragement to me. I hope it has been to you as well. We're going to be together in Daniel chapter 5 this morning. If you'd like to turn there or navigate there, if you're using these blue Bibles that are on the chairs in front of you or tucked underneath one, perhaps, Daniel chapter 5 is on page 932, 932. Um, Daniel chapter 5. 
And I'd invite you, before we begin, before we begin reading, uh, if we would just invite God to guide our thinking and guide our, our thoughts, to give us what we need from this text as we study, would you pray together with me uh, the disciples' prayer? And I've said before, this isn't a magic formula, um, but it is the model of prayer that Jesus left for us, and it's helpful if we're going to pray it together to kind of use the same words. So that's why the words are on the screen. Um, would you pause and, and bow your hearts and pray together with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Daniel chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. I'll read the first couple of verses here, and then we'll talk about what's going on. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his concubines and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand, and the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers, the, t- the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. So we'll pause there. If you've been following along with us as we've gone through the book of Daniel, it may seem if like if we were sitting down and we were reading this kind of all together, uh, we've, we've taken now five weeks to study it, but if we were to sit in one sitting and read the whole book together, this is the time where we would realize, oh, there's, there's time passing between these chapters. If if we just kind of have looked at the things as they go along, and those first two chapters were really close together. Right around graduation time at the end of chapter one was the time that chapter two came around and Daniel was able to give the dream and its interpretation. Those things happened together. But then there are decades. There's time built in between these chapters. So we get the idea that Daniel, like the book of Daniel, is actually a collection of highlights over decades of material. And you're like, Michael, why would you take the time to tell me that? 
Because sometimes when we read the scriptures, we go, wow, like God really worked with people and he did special stuff and amazing things. And it seems like every time God turned around, he was involved in people's lives. But like for me, like it's, it's been a minute. Like I feel like I, it's been a long time since I felt close to God or I felt like God was trying to get my attention or anything like that. I just want to show you like sometimes God doesn't do anything for a couple of decades and then he does something crazy and then he's quiet again. And that's normal. You shouldn't feel bad about that. That's actually the model of scripture that we have. Yes, we walk closely in the spirit with God, but sometimes that just feels like getting up and washing the dishes. The spirit meets us there, but it's not necessarily something spectacular. So I just point that out at the beginning. So there's the passage of time that's happening here such that we actually have a different king. For the first couple of chapters of Daniel, we were talking about Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, who had invaded uh, Daniel's hometown, the nation of Israel, God's God's special nation that he had set up and given them their own uh, land and given them their own constitution. Uh, God allowed Babylon to come and invade them and to take them captive and under the reign of a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, who we're kind of familiar with at this point. But this is King Belshazzar. And King Belshazzar is a different king. And he actually, we know from history, wasn't the only king in Babylon at the time. He actually had a, what they call a co-regency. He was co-king with his, uh, his actual father, uh, Nabonidus. So Nabonidus and Belshazzar were both king at the same time after Nebuchadnezzar. Which you're like, why, does that, why would you even, I don't care. Like, why would you even tell me that? It'll make sense when I get to the end of this. But just so you know, like, there's, there's something going on here. And Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Um, and Belshazzar, when he had tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought in, that the king, his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So... We open with the scene of a party that the king is throwing, um, presumably in his capital city. And he's like, hey, guys, like, let's get smashed. Like, I'm going to get everybody together and we're all going to drink together. It's going to be great. And when he starts drinking, he says, you know what? Remember when Grandpa Neb went and went to Jerusalem and he got a whole bunch of like golden cups and stuff. Like there were, there were some cool stuff that he kind of, he's keeping in the temple. Like it's, it's an offering to like our gods or whatever, but like we're going to take it and we're going to celebrate with it. We're going to take these things out. And if you're not familiar with some of the ways that um, God communicates about his stuff, this is actually a really, really big deal. Like God goes into almost mind-numbing detail about the golden, the way that the things that he wanted in his temple to be fashioned. Um, and those are in, in, in numbers, or not in numbers, in, in, in Exodus. Um, yeah, I know there's a bunch of it in Exodus, but he goes into almost mind-numbing details about how these things are, because God wants people to know that when you come into my house and you're using my things, then you're going to play by my rules. And so it is already a problem that a foreign army has been able to come into the temple and taken those things out of God's holy temple that he had set up and taken them to a foreign land and put them in front of an altar, like, and put them in front of literally a God made of gold and stone and said that this God of stone has conquered the living God and taken the vessels from there 
to here. So like this God of stone, this God of gold, this God of whatever that has been crafted by human hands obviously is more powerful than the God Yahweh because Yahweh couldn't even protect his temple. All his stuff is over here. Like, that's already a problem. But now Belshazzar, for whatever reason, and we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go, whatever reason decides, like, that's not enough. Like, I want to drink out of them. I mean, I know that they're kind of, they're supposed to be holy. It's like a religious thing, but like, who cares about that? Like, let's, let's go and let's have a party with this thing. And so he's drinking wine out of the holy vessels that God had made for his temple. Um, and, and, and then uh, immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. So when we walk into a room today, it's lit. Like, there's lights in here, and we didn't think about it at all. But if it's evening time, and we're having a party, and it's before electricity exists, like, there's going to be shadows in the room. But right in the spotlight, right across from where the lamp is, a hand appears and just starts writing on the wall in the plaster. And he's like, uh, okay, I probably need to pay attention to that. Where the Babylonian mindset was the gods do not dwell with men. They're not worried about men's business. We've already learned that the most high God dwells among flesh. Like he cares about what's going on and he cares about what's happening um, right now. And so he, uh, there's some kind of manifestation where a hand shows up and starts writing on the wall. Now you've probably heard, you, you've definitely heard, I'm going to say, I'll go out on a limb. You've definitely heard the phrase, well, the writing was on the wall. Uh, you probably have used it, but I just wanted you to know it came from the Bible. Like, this is a biblical phrase that's made itself into modern cult like, culture everywhere. People who aren't Christians use that term to say, the writing was on the wall. Something was doomed to fail from the beginning. Uh, spoiler alert, that's how this chapter ends. <laughs> um, th that, uh, not euphemism, that phrase comes from, from Scripture here. And the king freaks out, color drains out of his face, like literally his knees were knocking, his, his muscles couldn't hold his legs underneath him, and he's scared, and so he says, hey, I want to know what this means. I got words written up on my wall from like a ghost hand, like I need to know what those things mean, somebody t read it for me, and if you can read it for me, I'm going to give you the finest clothes that I can afford, I'm going to put a, a chain around your neck, a gold chain, and I'm going to put you in the third seat. Why the third seat? Because he was in the second seat, so he was co-regent, and then he says, I'm going to promote you as high as I can promote you without giving you my job. And everybody's like, well, that's a pretty good incentive. They tried and, and, and failed. That's how the story progresses. I want to pause and just ask a question. Um, it's gonna, as we go on, we're going to see that King... Belshazzar is, is, probably, uh, is probably a little bit discouraged. By the end of this chapter, an army will have invaded his town and killed him. I'll just, I'll just tell you at the beginning. Armies don't move across the world, don't move through a nation without getting noticed, particularly in ancient times. Like, there were no stealth fighters coming in and dropping bombs in his day. If, if, an, if, a, if a city was going to be taken, it was weeks and months. People knew that that was coming. So there's an army marching across, headed straight for him, and he decides, I want to throw a party. 
And he's, he, he's looking at maybe impending doom. Maybe he's confident enough. He thinks, this is Babylon, the great city. Like, we can, definitely re- we can definitely repel this invading army. Like, we don't even need to worry about it. Maybe that's why he's drinking. Or maybe he's, like, trying to further, uh, further denigrate the gods that, that his grandfather has already conquered. I'm not sure exactly what his mindset is. But there is trouble brewing in his life, and he turns here to not just his old victories, but his grandfather's old victories. And I wonder, what old victories do we keep going back to to draw a pick-me-up from? When we face trouble, I think it actually is in our human nature to go back to a time where things were good and to just, like, try to relive the good old days, or try to relive a time where things weren't so scary or things weren't so bad. How quickly did we want to go back to normal? And what old victories do we keep drawing from for a pick-me-up? Instead of facing what's in front of us, instead of walking with God in the moment for what he is leading us towards. How many times do we look for that week-old, month-old, years-old bread instead of praying God for our daily bread? Nobody can interpret the writing on the wall in verse 10. Would you read with me? The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet hall. And the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and... He'll show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now, the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and to make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show me the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations. And solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you should be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So, in this time where there's writing on the wall and everybody's freaking out, uh, it says the queen. Um, some translations will have a note that say the queen mother. Like, this is just, this is a person in the royal family who obviously was around long enough to remember Daniel. Like if this if this was Belshazzar's wife, they would have been like they would have had the same history. Like the timelines probably have lined up pretty good. But this is somebody that's in the royal family that remembers something that happened before Belshazzar was king. So somebody who's like, hey, we've had this problem before, where there was a dream or there was something come up that that we didn't understand. And I remember there was a guy, like there was a god guy who like knew stuff. And we need to call him. Like, he's still around. He's survived. And this, like, there has been a, a change of power from one king to uh, two more. And 
Daniel has survived. He's still around. He doesn't have the same prestige that maybe he had after the two promotions that we've already read about, but he is still around, and he still remembers. So he gets called in, and the king says, hey, I hear that you can give interpretations to these. If you do that, I'll give you a royal robe, and I'll put a gold chain on your neck. And I'm like, if I'm Daniel, I'm like, yeah, I did that once. Actually, I did that twice, now I think about it. And you still had to come and find me, Right? We kind of take for granted, uh, maybe not now, as we would have in decades past, but we take for granted that when, when, when rulers change over, it kind of happens peacefully and we just exchange power. But that has not been the true for most of human history, for most kingdoms in the world, and even for uh, nations in our modern era. That's, that we shouldn't take that for granted. But Daniel has survived a transfer of power into this new era, which is not nothing. God's preserved him. And this king, like, really seems to be leaning on his prestige. Like, yeah, like, remember my dad, my grandfather, old Neb, remember that guy? Like, yeah, he was my grandfather, and now I got his throne, you know, so you help me like you helped him, right? But he's really not paying attention. Like, Belshazzar is not paying attention. And he's let, like, he knows that Grandpa had a really great kingdom and things were going really well, but he did not take the time to figure out what was going on to make that work. It seems like he just kind of stepped into it and was just kind of like, yeah, now I'm the king. And he just made it up as he went. And this is maybe stretching the text a little bit, but I did want to ask a question because I think it's, it's relevant. What reliable friends have we drifted away from? There's times where we just kind of are going through life and we get busy, and I, and I understand that, but th- there have been reliable friends who have who've helped us in the past, who've pointed us to Jesus and who have given us like discernible answers, who have journeyed with us through really difficult times. What reliable friends have we drifted away from? And as we answer that question, like, is it time for maybe us to reconnect with them and to rebuild those relationships? So, Daniel gives an answer in verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I'll read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules over the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. 
but have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver, gold, and bronze, wood, uh, iron, wood, and stone, which do not hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then, from his presence, the hand was sent. And this writing was inscribed. And this is the meaning, or this is the writing that was inscribed, mini, mini, teko, and parsin. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mini. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Teko. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Peres. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. <laughs> then Belshazzar gave command, and Daniel was clothed in purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. See, God has not held captive even when his people fail. God has allowed his people to be taken into captivity, and God has continued to show himself strong in a foreign land. God's not just strong on, on the home turf. He's, he's, he's strong away, too. The Lord of all creation is not dependent upon a geographical location to work. God's not limited. The Spirit is not limited to the work and the whispering that he can do in this room. He's active everywhere our feet go. And the Most High God will not be mocked in his timing. See, Daniel opens and says, yeah, you, you know Grandpa Neb. And you know about that time where he lost his mind. And remember, like, he had a dream that it was going to happen, and then it happened. And it happened. And why did it happen? It happened so that he would learn that the Most High God is the one who reigns over all. We talked about that last week. And you watched it happen. You remember this. And you remember that when he changed from, uh, he changed from nobody should say anything bad against Yahweh to uh, Yahweh is actually the one that should be praised, when he made that trend, you yourself decided, no, I'm going to stay with the ways of Babylon. And you lifted up yourself against God. And his timing, God brings judgment. You've lifted yourself up against him. You have drunken wine in a party scene from his golden vessels. Like, he's not going to let this pass. And so he, he wrote you a little love note. Your days are numbered, you've been weighed in the balances, and you found wanting, and your kingdom is divided. Your kingdom kind of already is divided, like there's two kings reigning at the same time. It's not going to be that hard to split things up because the provinces are already drawn, but now it's going to be given to somebody else. See, God alone holds our future in his hands, and the outcomes of our future are consistent with our relationship with him. There's not a direct correlation 
There, there isn't in Scripture a, if you do good, God will do good for you, and if you do bad, God will do bad for you. Like, that actually isn't how the Bible talks about things. But our future is related to how we relate to God. We read from Psalm 33 this morning about how God's the one who made everything. God's the one who is is the creator of all things. And God's will is the one that perseveres across all of time, that nations come up with plans and they try to figure stuff out. And God just confuses it and makes it fall apart. But for those who walk with him, they're raised up. And I want to draw your attention to something that maybe we've overlooked because I think the big idea for this whole chapter has been kind of scattered throughout. In verse 1, he starts with this party, and, and, and he wants to drink, but not just drink. He wants to drink in front of the thousand lords. He wants to drink and make himself like known in front of everybody. He wants to, he wants to show off, right? He's trying, to, he's trying to blow up his own ego. In verse 19, he says, God had made Nebuchadnezzar great, and God had lifted him up, and yet when he acted, when Nebuchadnezzar acted in arrogance, when he lifted himself up, that's when God humbled him. So we've seen that God can humble. And in verse 20, it was the same thing. And in verse 23, he says, now you have done the same thing. You've, 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 you've drunk from the golden holy vessels. You've lifted yourself up against the most high God. And instead of giving honor to the living God, you're giving honor to gods that are made out of gold and bronze, iron, wood, and stone. You'd rather worship something that a craftsman has made than the actual living God that's active in the world. You've lifted yourself up. And I think the big idea is that only the Most High God can truly lift us up. We've seen that in the end, God reigns above all. He can humble whoever he wants to humble. We see that in Nebuchadnezzar's life. But here we see that God can raise whoever he wants to raise. And only the Most High God can truly lift us up. It's a a reminder that, yeah, we need encouragement. We need to be encouraged as people but we don't need to worship ourselves. We need need provision. We need to be taken care of. We do have needs, but that doesn't mean that our every whim and our every desire needs to be fulfilled, especially if we're worshiping ourselves. Only the Most High God can truly lift us up. If you were reading closely in verse 24 and in verse 28, it seems like there's two different words there, meaning, meaning, tekel, and parsin. Parsin, and then in verse 28, Daniel says, Perez. I just want to let you know, because I that freaked me out. I was like, why is he given a different word? It's actually different tenses of the same word in Aramaic. So one is, one is singular and the other one is plural, like the difference between ox and oxen. They look like different words, but it's just a different tense. Uh, it's the same thing that's happening there. But it's kind of a play on words, Parsin, if you're looking at it and you mess up the vowels a little bit, uh, sounds a whole lot like Persian. And now the kingdom is passing from Babylon to the Medes and the Persians. So this guy 
who for whatever reason had kind of set himself up, who had lifted himself up, was trying to honor himself, is told, like, this is the end of the line for you. And, the, like, there's a lot to wrestle with in this chapter for a lot of different reasons. But I wonder, how do our priorities measure up against eternity? I, I can spend a lot of time reading in between the lines and trying to fill out the character of Belshazzar. I can spend some more time talking about how like, wise Daniel is. But none of us, like likely, none of us are actually going to be in the room where it happened, if you get what I'm saying. Those moments of history where everything turns on a dime, very few of us will ever be in the room where it happened. Most of us, our life is going to be a little bit less exciting than that. The fates of states and countries is not usually going to be divided, decided by us. So what connection do we have with a story like this about kings and dreams and prophets? I think we need to ask ourselves, how do our priorities measure up against eternity? It strikes me that messages from God to the kings of Babylon were not lacking. It seems like God communicated to the kings of Babylon pretty regularly. The problem was always understanding. And I think I find in my own heart, I'll, I'll be honest, you guys probably have your act together better than me, but I think I find oftentimes that the messages from God are not lacking, that I have the word, but what I need is the understanding. And oftentimes I want to rely on what I know, or I want to rely on something that I've been taught before, or I want to rely on um, my education, where God says, I will lead you into understanding. Trust in my spirit for what you need for today. How do our priorities measure up against eternity? Because only the Most High God can truly lift us up. Would you pray together with me? Sometimes it's difficult for us, Jesus, to read stories like this, to read chapters like this, and not relegate it to a flannel graph, a cartoon of reality. There's something in us that's easy to separate and to forget that these are real flesh and blood people, to not turn them into characters or caricatures straw men to, to knock down and to walk away with a, a, a moral of the story. So Lord, where we're tempted to do that, would you draw our hearts close to you? 
Would you help us to not be distracted by Belshazzar, by Daniel, by the, the, by the miraculous writing on the wall, but Lord, to come face to face with the fact that you are the living God active in history, dwelling among flesh and active in our lives. And Lord, would you lead us and guide us and would you give us understanding to how you are speaking? By your spirit, through your word, confirmed through your people. We need you. We can't do it by ourselves. And oftentimes our pride is in the way. So Lord, if we have raised ourselves up against you, if we have looked you in the eye and say, I have no need of you, or we've looked you in the eye and spit in your face, said that's just, it's just nonsense. God, I pray that you would soften our hearts and help us to trust you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.